Welcome to Caring for Caregivers, your life support podcast, where we explore what it really means to focus on your own mental health and well-being, along with the well-being of your workplace in the face of COVID-19 and other life challenges. I'm your host, Phil Rayner, and I've been working in the behavioral health care field as a social worker, serving in clinical, supervisory, and management roles for almost 40 years. I'd like to welcome my friend and colleague, Tara Fisher, to our uh, podcast episode today. Tara is a licensed clinical social worker and a senior program manager for Advocates for Human Potential, who brings 25 years of experience in the behavioral health field. She's dedicated much of her career to designing, implementing, and monitoring behavioral health care service delivery improvements for public sector organizations serving vulnerable individuals and families. Her experience includes the implementation and quality assurance of the Massachusetts Children's Behavioral Health Initiative, a statewide multi-service community-based system of care reimbursed by Medicaid, as well as the design and implementation of a child and young adult day treatment program and flexible support service for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. In an effort to support accountable care organizations and community-based providers in achieving behavioral health outcomes, reducing costs, and improving patient experience, Ms. Fisher has worked with organizations to strengthen their operations, processes, address social determinants of health, and build the necessary care coordination competencies for staff to meet the needs of patients with complex social, medical, and behavioral health concerns. Her experience as a behavioral health care administrator, provider, clinician, and consultant spans multiple settings, including outpatient, residential, Medicaid-managed care, state mental health authority, primary care, accountable care, and family-driven youth-guided systems of care. She earned her BS in psychology from Worcester State University and her MSW from Simmons University. Tara, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate your time. You bet, Phil. I'm really glad to be here. It's nice to be with you today. Tara, can you tell us about the Center for Wellbeing at Work and why it was established? Yeah. The Center for Wellbeing at Work is a clearinghouse and technical assistance center. It's aimed at helping middle managers uh, foster a culture of well-being in the workplace. Advocates for Human Potential developed the center with some funding from an emergency COVID-19 grant from SAMHSA to the Illinois Department of Human Services Division of Substance Use Prevention and Recovery. We're so grateful to have that funding to be able to stand up this center for really middle managers in human service organizations. What we're trying to do here is provide training and technical assistance and consultation that helps human service organizations navigate the intersection between employee well-being and recruitment and retention. So really what we're trying to do is work with folks, leaders, human service organizations on giving them strategies and tools to create an environment where people want to work. Hands-on, day-to-day practices that people can leverage in real time and focus their efforts as being strategic in their well-being leadership in their organization. Can you talk a little bit about um, why it was important to launch the center at this time? Sure thing. You know, with the wake of COVID, 
One of the things that really unites us all is that the workplace is suffering across the nation in all sectors, but especially in the health and human service sector. Now we know that burnout, compassion fatigue, vicarious trauma have always been concerns for human service staff, but in the wake of COVID, it's become especially acute for, for our workers. We know that there's some data out there that suggests as, as many as 80% of employees say that they're stressed at work and need help managing it. And one in four people say that work is the biggest stressor in their lives. We know that folks are hurting and we wanted to uh, address that need. It's important to us at Advocates for Human Potential to really support the health and human service uh, sector and doing all the good work that they do. One more thing I'll, I'll just say about this is what we noticed over time, we've been doing some consultations for some time in this space, particularly in the state of Illinois. And what we noticed over time is that many times people thought that they had a recruitment and retention problem. And actually, it turned out to be an employee well-being problem, that staff were just suffering emotionally. Mm-hmm. with the stress and overwhelm. And that was resulting in people leaving their jobs. And then, of course, those left in the organizations are extra burdened as they're mm-hmm. doing two jobs and, and during a really stressful time. And so it seems that it would put those employees who are left at greater risk of challenges to their well-being as well, picking That's up right. that extra burden. That's right, exactly. And so managers are in a tough, a tough bind here of losing staff and, and trying to create an environment where the existing staff want to stay, but, you know, feeling the pinch of the additional burden and workload, given that folks have. I think that's such a good phrase for, you know, feeling that pinch and being in, in a way between a rock and a hard place of trying to support well-being and at the same time being short-staffed and having certain outcomes to achieve. So looking at the idea of leading well-being at this point in time, what does that look like? What does it mean? So we at the center have created four fundamental practices. We call them pillars of leading well-being. And they include leading from the inside out, signaling belonging, being a beacon of belonging, activating agency and taming excessive work demands. So what does this actually mean? (laughs) Well, when we talk about leading from the inside out, we think that it starts first with us as leaders or managers. And not only our own well-being, but also thinking about how we show up, thinking about how our way of leading is being experienced by our staff. So we want to cultivate in ourselves this self-awareness, right? Being curious about our own style of leadership, 
considering our emotional intelligence, you know, how we connect socially with folks. Are we attuning to our staff and understanding the emotion behind what they're saying? Are we building relationships with folks, really taking an interest in them personally? And are we managing ourselves emotionally and our own energy and how we engage? So that's that's sort of the challenge of leading from the inside out, really focusing on ourselves first before we start to work on supporting well-being for our own staff. We want to be in the right frame of mind and have our own cup sort of filled and understand what we're bringing to the table. And if there are any gaps actually there too, we want to understand those. You know, do we have some learning edges that we want to uh, strengthen in our own leadership style? I think that's such a great point. You know, I recently heard the, the expression used that you you can't pour from an empty cup. And I think that's such a great analogy for, for or metaphor for that situation. If you're trying to lead others in well-being, how can you do that if you're not attending and having awareness of your own well-being? Yeah. And so much so many times we don't give ourselves the permission, you know to take care of our own well-being. We're so focused on all of the demands of our job and taking care of our staff that we forget to to take that time and prioritize taking care of ourselves and and really paying attention to where we're at. You know, a, a little bit about being a beacon of belonging. You know, we think about that in terms of two key concepts. There's a lot in belonging, but we really focus on two key concepts, which is being inclusive and ensuring psychological safety. So with psychological safety, of course, we're talking here about trust, about communicating in a transparent way with staff, letting them know what's behind the ask. We're talking about Letting people know it's okay to make a mistake and to come come to me if you have made a mistake. And that's part of the learning process that it's going to happen from time to time, especially when people take on new tasks or things that are a little outside of their regular scope. And that, that there's opportunity to work together on it. You know, all of this helps to foster some psychological safety. And then when we think about inclusion, we think about lifting people's voices, staff's voices, you know, how how can we involve them in decisions that we're making? So, you know, if we're going to put in a new process or we're going to consider a new resource for them, let's get their thoughts and feedback for this from the staff themselves. You know, is this going to be a useful resource to you? Is this going to meet your needs? Should we be thinking about something else? You know, is this something that resonates with all of the staff, you know, just not just, you know, the most vocal or the most sort of dominant group, but all of the staff, all of the staff in the organization and really involving people. I appreciate you saying that. I think that some members of a team that may be part of marginalized communities um, or may be underrepresented, underrepresented in the organization may need that additional encouragement and support to know that it's safe to share and to really speak honestly about what they're experiencing. Yeah, yeah. that's right. That's right. You know, one, one, one thing that has really stuck with me that I've, I've started to cultivate into a practice, which I, which is one of these like little tidbits, you know, that the center is sort of all about these little tidbits, these little things, these little practices that people can do 
day to day. So we're, we don't need, you know, big, huge initiatives to change. You know, we have the power within ourselves to make small incremental changes with just our, our staff and our teams. And so one of the things that I think about that's really stuck with me is this practice of paying attention to introductions and handoffs in Zoom meetings or team meetings. So a lot of us are still in virtual meetings. They seem like they're gonna stay with us in some sort of hybrid fashion. And when you pay attention, when you just open up your awareness and really watch how people hand off to one another in say introductions. So at the start of a team meeting, oftentimes we'll have, you know, introductions, people will popcorn around, will pass around, you know, I introduce myself, I pass it over to you, Phil, you introduce yourself, you pass it over to our other colleague, Beth, and so on and so forth. And just the act of paying attention to who's passing to who, are there any patterns there? Are all the white folks passing to white folks, people of color passing to people of color, managers passing to managers, uh, frontline staff passing to frontline staff? You know, are there any patterns? And just noticing that and thinking about how to interject lifting up certain voices. So if you notice that the people of color always go last, trying to interject and invite them to speak first. If you notice that that no one's handing popcorning over to particular people in a on a regular basis, then calling them to participate first. So just observing that and seeing the patterns and thinking about how to be more inclusive just in that little moment. That of course isn't going to solve all the inclusive um, mm-hmm. concerns that an organization may have, but this is really laying brick by brick by brick the structure and the foundation um, of inclusion, chipping away little little practices each day. Are there any other pillars of leading well-being that you wanted to talk about? Well, the other two are activating agency and excessive work demands. And I I do think those are both important as well. So I'd like to touch on them just a little bit. When we think about activating agency, we think about two things. You know, staff often crave autonomy and control over their work. And we've seen this in the literature, in uh, the research that's been done done over the last couple of years during covid And we also know that sometimes managers and supervisors don't quite feel their staff are ready to take on that responsibility. And they they don't quite trust yet that the person is is ready. So how do you meet in the middle? Well, we think about uh, this pillar of activating agency as a way to sort of bridge the gap there. And what can the manager do to support their staff in setting them up for success so that they can, in fact, have this autonomy and control? There are four key activities we think about. It's helping that staff person to have intentionality to really think about, okay, what am I taking on? What are my goals here? Breaking down the pieces. What are my steps? Really being intentional about how I want things to work, the goal, the vision, what it's going to look like when it's done. And and asking the staff person about that, helping them build that muscle by asking them questions that help them think through intentionality. 
the other, another one is promoting anticipation. So when we think about anticipation, it's anticipating barriers and, and successes. You know, how might this actually play out? Is there anything that's going to get in the way of me achieving this goal or this doing this activity? And then planning for, you know, what to do in case that happens. Of course, we, we want to encourage them to take action because sometimes people get stalled out in that space, right? We have great ideas, but then we, we lose momentum when it comes to actually acting on them. And sometimes there's stuff there, right? Sometimes it's fear of failure or, or lack of confidence in their concept or what have you, but unpacking some of that and really helping the person get to action. And then lastly, um, supporting their self-reflection. So talking with folks in supervision about, about the process, not just the actual acts and activities and tasks, but how the process has been for them. What would they maybe do differently next time? You know, what, what, what surprised them about this experience and themselves and how they, they led it or facilitated it? How do they see themselves growing in this experience? Really ask, you know, challenging them to self-reflect and building that muscle. So it's building all of these four different muscles of intentionality, anticipation, action, and self-reflection. And then lastly, if I can, excessive work demands. Uh, we think about this uh, as noticing, addressing, assessing. Noticing, assessing, and addressing excessive work demands. So oftentimes we we stop paying attention, right? We get habituated to the fact that everyone's working evenings and on the weekends because it becomes part of the culture and the norm in the organization. And so we have to take a step back and actually notice that our staff are overextended. And, and then we need to dig into it and actually assess why that's happening. Are we short-staffed? Has it become so, so much of the culture that people are doing it even when they don't need to? Is it, is it a need that it's fulfilling in the staff? You know, do they, they uh, kind of crave this um, validation or, you know, sort of this, this sort of point person to solve all the problems? What's going on there? What's, what's driving the excessive work activity? And then, of course, once you have a sense of that, addressing it, you know, what can you do to address it? Are there, are there ways to shift workloads for folks? And, you know, are there ways to flex people's schedules so that they can still have a little bit more balance? You know, can they take an hour in the middle of the day and get their workout in or, you know, take time for lunch? Really thinking with them about ways to sort of tame some of this. Can they reprioritize and focus on, you know, just the most important things right now, knowing that these other things are going to have to be on hold and there's agreement and from the leadership and understanding from the leadership that, that this other piece of work needs to wait. So really important. These, these four Four pillars we feel are, are foundational to leading well-being. There, of course, are other important aspects of leading well-being too, but the, these are an important start for leaders. Sure. Earlier on, you were saying that oftentimes the application of this is really in the day-to-day -day small interactions and tweaking the ways in which we provide leadership and guidance and supervision. Can you share some examples of 
how that might look in the actual application on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, so we've seen people apply this in a in a variety of ways. You know, we we've seen how leaders have taken on that that desire to be transparent with their staff to help foster belonging and inclusion by sending a weekly email. So sending an email to the staff, being really transparent about, you know, goals or tasks that are on the agenda for the coming week, giving a gratitude, a shout out to their staff, a show of appreciation for the work that they've been doing in that email and in giving any updates too, you know, letting them know if there's something bigger in the organization that's going on. So, so that's a really nice example of something easy that we can do mm-hmm. just a, a short mm-hmm. email to staff each week uh, to touch on any of those those items. When we start start paying attention to how we're showing up and building our own self-awareness muscle, you know, we can pay attention to how we might react in situations. And sometimes it's hard when people push back on us or or people, our staff disagree with us. And sometimes folks can get defensive in those situations. So paying attention to when that sort of emotion bubbles up or other emotions bubble up that you might not be in line with how you want to show up. You know, one of the things we can do when when we're kind of locked in with someone, when we're going back and forth with someone and and starting to have a little conflict is to notice it, take a step back, acknowledge it, and maybe say something like, you know, I I see we're kind of locked in here. We're both really passionate about this. Why don't you tell me about your particular passion around this topic? And just creating some space to, to get out of the back and forth conflict and really hear um, what's going on for them and why they're so passionate and, and then being open-minded and, and of course, listening well. You know, I was thinking that if I were in that situation as a leader and I, I'm listening and I recognize that I might've been wrong, you know, if such a thing is possible, but you know, <laughs> I might've been wrong. And to openly acknowledge that would be a great way to also convey psychological safety, that it's, it's okay to admit having made a mistake or, or maybe recognize my point of view wasn't on target. Yeah, I think admitting you're wrong or you made a mistake or shifting your perspective on an idea is a, is a terrific way to help communicate integrity, to let people know that you're really invested in the best possible outcome, the best possible product. And you're going to put your ego aside for that, you know, in line with the the vision or in line with, you know, what you're trying to accomplish together as a team. You know, it also helps to, to model that we're all teachers and learners. So I can't possibly know everything. I can't. And if I'm smart, I'll surround myself with people who know more than me and and I'll be open to learning from them. And sometimes this can feel really vulnerable. So we have to sort of practice being in that uncomfortable, vulnerable space of when it bumps up against our own stuff around, you know, not knowing. I think some leaders get concerned that if they appear vulnerable or they admit to being wrong, 
that they may lose some of their, the respect of their supervisees or their authority in the organization. What are your thoughts around that? I think it's the opposite most of the time. I mean, if you have a real toxic work environment, that might not be the case. But if you're in the process of building psychological safety on the team, I think oftentimes admitting you're wrong actually helps the staff have more respect for you. You know, they see that you're human and in that you're willing to um, put yourself out there. You know, you're modeling for them what you hope that they aspire to behave as, as well, you know, and how you want them to show up and engage. And it just creates the space for people to be able to do that when they see it, it done in their leaders. One of the challenges that I see in many organizations is that, and, and particularly in healthcare, human services, behavioral healthcare, is that providers will be promoted into positions of leadership and, and management and may not have been really trained in those skills. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about how people moving into those roles can make sure that they have opportunity to, to really develop the kinds of skills you're talking about. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought this up because I think it's an important consideration. So when we are as leaders examining ourselves and thinking about our own leadership style, it's quite possible that we're brand new leaders and we don't quite know what our style is yet. We're sort of figuring it out. And, and we're looking around thinking, oh gosh, I don't really have the, the skills. I've been promoted into this position. I was good at the job I used to do. I'm not feeling terribly confident leading and I'm not getting a lot of mentoring or support or guidance or training in this area. And so what can you do for your own well-being as a leader in that scenario? And I think, you know, it's definitely on organizations to support and grow and develop people. Without a doubt, we should be scaffolding people when we promote them into those positions. We should be bolstering their skills and abilities and, and setting them up for success. But sometimes that doesn't happen. So what we can do when we're in that situation is have conversations, particularly at the point of when we're uh, being promoted, right? So when you're getting that offer and you're gonna say, yes, I'll take that job. So that's the negotiation point, right? And we're accustomed to negotiating dollars, right? Salary, maybe benefits, but this is a time to negotiate being set up for success. So knowing what it's going to take for you to be successful in that position and communicating it, you know, letting, letting your hiring manager, your promoting manager know that, you know, we, we want me to succeed in this position. You want me to succeed. I want to succeed. And this is what success looks for me. It looks like for me. For me, I, I have some learning edges and I want to take a, a leadership class. So can I, can I be, can the company pay for this leadership course as part of promoting me into this position? Or I want to have some mentoring over the next year. Can you partner me with a mentor? 
I need some, some strengthening of particular content or information that I, I don't know. You know, I've only worked in one department. Now I'm, now I'm gonna, you know, work in multiple departments, seeing, overseeing people whose position I know nothing about. And, and I really want to get steeped in that information and knowledge so that I can be a resource to those people. So how can we make that happen? And then having ongoing conversations, right? So what'll happen sometimes in organizations is they say, yes, 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 we'll do all of that for you. And then you get into the position and it doesn't come to fruition or it does in part. And so it's holding them accountable, right? So it's going back when you feel that push or that squeeze, that that, that plan that you were set up for, for your plan for success, when those things aren't happening and they're kind of getting squeezed out of your, of your work, of your scope, then going back and having the conversation of, well, you know, we had this conversation about setting me up for success. And, and I see that I'm noticing, you know, that these things aren't, aren't happening and they're really important to me. They were really important to you when we had that conversation. So what can we do to make sure that they're in place? Um, I will be a better employee and I will, I will last longer here I will, you know, build a better team if these pieces are in place. That's such a great way of describing the value that that training brings to the organization, the benefit not only to the employee, but to the whole department if somebody has that, that training that they need. I'm, I'm wondering along a similar line, if I've been in a leadership role for a number of years and some of the style and strategy that I may have learned that was effective 10, 15, 20 years ago, maybe doesn't fit as well in the current workforce. How might I address those kind of training needs as a more seasoned leader? Well, you know, it's really interesting as I hear you talk about it. It's the, the first step is noticing that, right? <laughs> because so many times we, as leaders, we've been in this role for a long time and we, and we do, we feel like we've got it. We've been doing it for a while and we, we've stopped noticing, you know, our learning edges. We stopped thinking of ourselves as learners. And I think that first and foremost, as leaders, we have to never stop learning ever. And I think just being open to that perspective is, is paramount, right? We need to really uh, start there with the fact that we are always learners. And so what are the ways that you need to grow? You know, taking advantage of, there are so many tools and resources out there to self-assess your leadership style, your leadership emotional intelligence, your approach, you know, with teams, the strengths that you bring. There are so many different ways to look at your your how you've grown over the years using supervision to have those conversations you know talking with your supervisor about your your goals for growth and development as a leader you know joining a masterclass in in leadership is is a great approach taking a, taking a, a class getting an executive coach you know all ways to fine tune and strengthen our leadership skills you know we never stop growing never ever and there's always more to to learn and and grow and build and strengthen 
If somebody um, wanted to learn more about the workforce well-being project that you're describing, how might they contact you to learn more about this? Yeah, we just launched our our website, the the Center for Well-Being at Work. Uh, You can get lots of information on our website about the pillars. There's a number of tools for each pillar. So please do check that out. It's wellbeingforworking.com. And that's the number four, wellbeingforworking.com. And you're also welcome to email us. Email us anytime with questions or uh, interest in consultation. Uh, Our email address is wellbeingforwork at ahpnet.com. And are there any final thoughts you'd like to share in regard to leading for well-being? I guess I'd leave you with the concept of just taking action and doing one thing, really taking a moment to reflect on how do you want to show up as a leader and then picking one thing that you can do this week differently to show up in that way. Uh, Test it out, see how it goes and see the impact it might have on your team and your staff and tweak it, tweak it. If it didn't quite go the way you wanted, tweak it a little bit, do it a little differently next time. Practice, consider it an experiment and um, and never stop growing. Yeah, that's a great place for us to wrap up. Tara, thank you so much for sharing your time and your thoughts with us today. You bet, Phil, happy to be here with you. Thanks for the opportunity. Help is here. If you or someone you know is struggling with mental health or substance use concerns, contact 1-833-2-FIND-HELP. This podcast is produced by Advocates for Human Potential and supported wholly or in part through an emergency COVID-19 grant to the Illinois Department of Human Services Division of Substance Use Prevention and Recovery from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. The sentiments expressed in this podcast are not endorsed by any of these involved entities.